Hi again there, welcome to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. As always, I'm your host, Roman Segal, and thank you for joining us for today's episode. And today I had the absolute pleasure of speaking to Peter Zulkner, who's Managing Director at Veta Pharma. It really was a pleasure to interview Peter because his journey at Veta is super interesting and it was really insightful for me to get an uh, an insight into Veta Pharma, a company that I've known for a long time, but didn't realize how big they have become in the CDMO space and just some of their learnings on the journey. Peter also talks about kind of the, the kind of very humble origin story of this kind of injectable filling specialist who really have built a fantastic reputation in this space. He also talks about his personal journey, uh, you know, from being at Veta very early on to going to a different company and then coming back to Veta, including kind of time in the US and now back to Europe on his journey of effectively running or co-running a billion dollar company. He talks very openly about culture and DNA and, you know, having scale up challenges and you know, how the people component is, is key. Also look out for his future trends at the end. It was really quite interesting to hear where he feels the industry is going and where CDMOs in particular need to be prepared to deal with the evolving demands of uh, biotech companies. For background, Peter has been the managing director of Veta uh, since 2008. And in 2009, he was also appointed the managing director of the international business as the head of sales and marketing within the organization. He graduated from the University of Dortmund in Germany back in 1992 with a degree in chemical engineering and earned an MBA from Columbia University, New York. Before joining Veta, he held positions in Germany and North America with Sartorius, AG and Sartorius North America uh, across very, very different functions. At Veta from 2003 to 2007, Peter managed the key account management function and general management roles within Veta before rejoining the company in 2008. And now he co-looks after the business with a fellow managing director. I really enjoyed my conversation with Peter and I really hope you do too. As always, thank you for listening and supporting Molecule to Market. If you get just five seconds today, please go on to your app store of choice and give us a nice, kind five-star rating. It'll literally take you five seconds and it will make my day. Enjoy today's episode. We are supported by ZymeWire, which is the leader in actionable sales intelligence for life science business development professionals. In fact, thousands of life science BD professionals start their day with sales signals from ZymeWire. And our friends at ZymeWire are giving Molecule to Market listeners an exclusive deal. Just head to zymewire.com forward slash Molecule to Market to learn more. Hey, Peter, welcome to the show. Hi, Roman. Thanks for having me. It's great to be there and uh, really look forward to our conversation. 
Yeah, me too. And it's been a it's been a long time coming getting you and the team from Vetter on on Molecule to Market. So I'm really delighted to have you here as as a guest. And just to start off with Peter, it'd be great if you could give our listener a bit of a a bit of a, a history of of your career and how you how you ultimately ended up becoming managing director uh, for Vetter Pharma. Yeah, so uh, by education, I'm a chemical engineer and an MBA, and I've spent uh, the last 25 years in the pharmaceutical and biotech industry. So used to to work for uh, Zartorius, that is a supplier for separation slash filter equipment, fermentation equipment, all kinds of things you can utilize around the biotech industry and the laboratories and so forth. And that's where it all started in, in research and development. And uh, so being an engineer is so okay, fine, I, I do that. And work really with uh, with Sartorius on on all kinds of of applications, which was a great school to find a way into processes. And before I knew it, um, so I became more attached to the business world since I really enjoyed it to talk to clients and try to find solutions for their problems and processes. And uh, at the end of the day, I, I switched over to product management marketing. And I thought to myself, hey, you want, don't want to be a self-made businessman without any business education. And uh, so other than working, went back to school and, and got my MBA in, in, uh, from Columbia in, in New York way back then. And uh, yeah, so migrated more and more towards the managerial side, the sales and marketing side at a certain point in time, still having that technical background. And uh, since in, in, in 2003, I, I moved over to Fetter the first time uh, where all of those talents to a certain degree came together that I had to have some technical bone in my body and on the other hand um, that I learned a little bit about the, the market and what, what makes customers tick and, and how do we find really solid solutions for them and uh, really uh, found at the rear end of that supply chain at the fill and finish side at, at Fetter a very in interesting company here and um, at that point in time I was, was a, a level below being responsible for um, sales slash key account management and um, then later on for supply chain management as well. Uh, before I moved back for roughly one and a half years to Zartorius, where we had kind of uh, interesting times here at Vetter. And um, so those, those folks were, uh, I, I had a kind of a topic with um, they they moved to the to the wayside and and at the end of the day together with a with a fatter family and and uh, my my uh, colleagues here in from the managerial side we reset sales to a a, a new fatter and which had been quite a successful run since June 2008. So that uh, was, was the time when our returns had all started and end of 2007, beginning of 2008. I, I completed the team there mid of 2008. And uh, since then, I, I, I think we, we really have, have a very good ride. Usually when good things are happening, 
a good team is involved. It's not just one individual making a difference there. You can contribute. That's all great. But for me, that uh, really uh, was um, fun. Nobody has to work at a certain employer. It was a deliberate choice. And I never regretted that, that I came back. And uh, from, from that perspective, yeah, now I'm in my mid-50s. That had been the story thus far. So That's great. And I'm going to dig into some of that a little bit more because there were some really interesting elements that you mentioned there. Do you mind just describing Vetter as an organization in terms of, um, my understanding is it's still a family-owned business and it would be it'd be great to also get a feel for what was Vetter like when you joined back in you know the early 2000s versus what it is today because it it looks like a very different company, you know, 20 years on. So it'd be great to kind of give um, give our listener just a feel for, I suppose, the journey that it has been on and what it was like. And, uh, you know, and my understanding from my research is, you know, it, the company actually goes back 70 years. And, you know, in a pharmacy, it has an incredible history. Um, but it would be great to just talk about that because it's quite unusual, I think, for the for the size of CDMO that that better is yeah. today. Yeah, so let's let's start with with the so footprint uh, we we're having today, and then we go a little bit back in history, and I try to to address a couple of those those questions. So at this point in time, we are an organization in terms of revenues uh, very close to a billion dollars, five thousand five hundred employees, as you mentioned before, privately family owned, and um, so there are uh, three branches of the Feta family, but they all live in unity and believe in the company or they're fully invested in the company. Um, uh, and um, yeah, so my colleague, Thomas Otto and I, we are the two appointed managing directors. That's how we call ourselves since we are not a publicly traded company. And um, so we are GmbH and Co-KG under German law. And with that said, your, your official title is a managing director. What do we do? We fill approximately 250 million syringes, vials, cartridges, dual chamber cartridges and syringes and, and so forth, and have a, another branch, the so-called FETA development services, where we take molecules help to a certain degree to get it into a robust um, formulation slash applicability in the clean rooms that we really have the same precise outcome every single time we have a filling campaign and um, help, for example, with the uh, design of uh, combination products, uh, how that all comes together, the molecule, uh, how you fill it, What's going on maybe with an injection device? How to marry that? Uh, is there a need for secondary packaging? In which way, shape, or form could we design a kit together and get that into the, on, onto the secondary packaging side? Um, so that, there are all kinds of, of questions we are addressing with our clients in the development services there, starting really from phase one. We have clients from phase one all the way to preparing for market success. And then later on, that's what we are better known for, is the commercial manufacturing side where we do fill finish services for the who soon pharma biotech so all top 20 big pharma biotech companies are on the active client list mostly with um, multiple projects products so um, had been extremely 
rewarding to be exposed to the who is who of that industry. But now back to your question, so where do we come from? So um, you, if you want to know where you're going, you have to understand a little bit your own history, <laughs> which, is, which is indeed over, over 70 years, um, 71 years to be precise. So the foundation of, of let's say, the feta pharmacy was 1950, which was a um, normal smaller pharmacy um, directly in the downtown area of the quaint town of Ravensburg in southern Germany, very close to Lake Constance. And uh, our founder of the company, Mr. Helmut Vetter, um, he had that um, idea after a couple of, of um, yeah, his uh, acquaintances, pharmacists from the region, asked him if he can help to package certain pills and certain uh, pharmaceuticals. And uh, yeah, other than being a pharmacist, he developed that idea, oh, wait a minute, okay, so we could, could do packaging as a service as well. And that was the idea. And in the beginning, it was everything what we did except sterile products. So that's how <laughs> it started out. And then uh, in the 1970s, all of a sudden, so the, the first sterile products came into play and the first syringes came into play. And in the 1980s, all of a sudden, there, there was a need how to combine in a meaningful way lyophilized drug substances with the diluent. And that was the idea of the dual chamber application a lot of people know us for. Um, so um, other than being a contract manufacturing organization, we still have that CDMO in mind, that development actually, and develop some of the features what you need around a successful application. In that case, it was a dual chamber application. And more and more, we got from the pure filling aspect more and more into the service aspect. And uh, the Feta Development Services is, is uh, one of those testimonies, which is now a solid branch of our business. And that's what customers expect from us. So, for example, we hadn't had vial lines for a longer period of time. And we had to learn that we are not paid only for dual chamber or the highest degree of complexity, how we can fill things. We are really paid for handling the complexity of the molecule and getting it robust every single time, 100% sterile and in compliance with regulatory requirements into a um, pre-filled container. And um, maybe you have to secondary package it and, and so forth. So when um, you look back, when I joined in 2003 for the first time the FETA organization, I think I was number 1100 and change on the, on the payroll. <laughs> so in the meantime, we have 5,500 people and uh, we, we yeah, more than quadrupled the business uh, since since then. Um, so it had been really uh, quite quite interesting. I always compare that when I, I was at a certain point responsible for, for supply chain, we felt that need once we had that first growth spur, 2003, 12, uh, 2004, 2005, somewhere along those lines when we were moving more from, let's say 1,100 people um, towards 2,000 people. All of a sudden, uh, we were not playing 
free jazz anymore, to utilize that analogy towards music, where uh, you knew some people, you looked your guys on the drums right in the eyes, and he came up with a solo and you were blowing the trumpet. So at 2,000 or more people, all of a sudden, at least you play big band, maybe not symphony orchestra, but at least big band, you need notes. And, and all of a sudden, it's not okay if the guy is really beating the drums at nine o'clock in the morning when that is required three o'clock in the afternoon. So that has to be really <laughs> stream, streamlined and, and you have to grow up as an, as an organization. And uh, so right now, if you, if you uh, look into that right, what we had at least the last yeah, um, 12, 13 years um, that had been um quite a change a lot of investment so the feta family is believing into this business as well a lot of reinvestment of everything what we what we earn here into the company and and really to build the business to have the right capacity to prepare for success with uh, roughly 250 projects we entertain right now on the FETA development services. And uh, a majority will hopefully hit at a certain point in time the market. And you have to have at that right point the capacity since people don't want to just shift gears and say, oh, okay, fine, they helped us this far in the development. And now where do I go now with that commercial success? So once you learn together with your client a lot about that product and you develop the processes, you definitely want to have a continuation there. And we have to be prepared for what's coming. So from, from this perspective, we are still building. On the other hand, uh, we just finalized our new strategy, FETA Next 2029. And uh, what you find almost in every other bullet point, what the strategy is all about, has a lot to do with um, Industry 4.0, digitization, a couple of things where you can deploy artificial intelligence on some of the things, because we will see a lot of baby boomers and folks who have the knowledge going into their well-deserved retirement, while on the other hand, you have the need to build this business to expand, to be prepared for those projects. And we definitely need some, some support there, even you know, from, from, from machines and processes where we cut out some of the routine work um, we, where we can utilize our human talent in a, in a better way. And uh, that will be definitely one of those challenges we are not only facing, I think the industry will facing how you do your knowledge management because everybody who has money who can invest into the business can buy a filling machine and they can buy some clean room walls and, and say, okay, fine, I have a new pharmaceutical site. That's all nice and fine. But really to make it uh, perfect and to have a product day in, day out, which really um, is uh, exactly how the customer expects that and the customer of the customer, the patient expects it every single day that is really at the highest quality. You can only do that with uh, your people. That, that, is, is, that is really the core asset we have in the company that really that experience, what we have collected over all of those decades. And that's what you have to get that DNA, what you have to get into, into, into your, your team members' heads every single time you take on new members and you have to reiterate that point there with the folks who are on board. But as I said before, when good things are happening, usually a good team is involved. Yeah, it's, it's really quite fascinating to hear the breadth of of the offering but also what a 
sizable CDMO business. I mean, I've, it's, it, you know, I know this industry reasonably well and even researching, you know, in, in advance of obviously speaking to you today, Peter, I, I was quite astounded by the scale and size that has become. And it's, I'm not saying you guys go under the radar because obviously you're very well known business and certainly very well respected. Um, you know, I was mentioning to your colleague that I was speaking to earlier, you know, I, I mentioned I was going to be interviewing uh, you, you and Vetter to a, a CDMO and uh, a CEO in the US and his immediate response was, oh, they're a great organization. They're, you know, it, so it's really quite fascinating to see your, the reputation that you guys have built over the air, but it's a, it's a phenomenal success story. And, and I wanted just to ask you a little bit about my understanding, obviously, is you've spent a, a big, almost your second era at, uh, at Vetter, you know, I think uh, largely in the US um so i was i was kind of curious to know what that journey was like and, and why you made that decision and i believe now you've moved back to <laughs> to germany so uh yeah. more out of curiosity you know as someone who's moved from europe to the us and you know had my family here and and all that type of thing i was just interested to know um kind of you know some of the reasons behind that and link closely to that because i suspect it could be related i was going to ask you also about um you obviously have, you're a joint managing director with uh, with I think Thomas uh, is the other joint yeah, managing director. Yeah, so, mm-hmm. so I was curious to know how that works as well. You know, how do you have two leaders in an organisation, and and maybe it's a geographic, which is why I'm kind of tying the two questions together. So if you could give us a little bit of insight into your journey to North America and then and back to Europe, but also link to that, how you and Thomas manage the kind of dual responsibility of, of running a billion a billion dollar company uh, so there are definitely at least four or five questions in your yeah, question so, right? i sorry, really try sorry. to compartmentalize it a little bit <laughs> yes. and and back up a, 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 a tad and uh, so let, let us go back so what what really got me back to the US. So I used to to work for Zartoris for five and a half years on um, based uh, on Long Island, New York, way back then, at the end being responsible for the, what we call way back then, the separations division for the Americas, which was uh, North America and Latin America before FETA found me. And I, I relocated for four years with my family back to Germany. And uh, before rejoining Zartoris, so I've worked twice in my life for two organizations, and I still speak to both of them at Burn Bridges. <laughs> So, which is kind of a unique combination. But at any rate, in, in 2007, my family and I, were, we were setting sales, um, um, moving to uh, back to, to the US, this time not to the East Coast, to the West Coast this time, to the Bay Area, mm-hmm. since Atoris acquired their um, uh, Stedim. And Stedim had a facility in Concord, California. And on the other hand, they were in the need for a vice president of global key account management. And uh, yes, okay, Peter, we thought about you anyways. Uh, if you want to rejoin the team, we still trust you. We need somebody who helps us with that integration of the site in, in Concord. And uh, as long as you have a big airport in the surrounding, if that is Frankfurt, Germany, or San Francisco, we don't care as long as you're flexible and say, okay, that sounds really fantastic. And and I relocated um, my family and myself um, back to California until Mm -hmm. FETA came around. And a couple of those folks um, where I had uh, a different opinion 
what the strategy should be of our FETA, how we should conduct certain sales elements and so forth, left uh, left FETA. And um, together with the FETA family, we reassembled, uh, I think, a great team here. Uh, Thomas Otto was still one of the constant factors. I will get back to, to, to Thomas and our relationship uh, a little later in one of the questions you, you asked me. And um, so... Um, in, in in those those days, uh, Feder asked me if if I uh, would be interested to to join the, the managing directors team. I said, okay, guys, you know, be, you found me with a 16 months old baby. My my son Tim, who is now 20, is uh, he was born uh, on Long Island. He's a U.S. citizen, has a German citizenship. So my wife and I, we were green card holders at that point in time. And um, so I said, okay, you found me there. I relocated back to Germany because of some of the circumstances at the company, I decided to leave and go back to the US. I'm not packing my overseas container every five minutes, so that's no problem. <laughs> so you can definitely stay where you are as long as you're flexible to spend approximately eight to 10 days here at the headquarters. You still um, have relationships within the company. You do know how we tick. You worked here at the headquarters for more than four years. And um, yeah, we, we definitely uh, can see that. On the other hand, we all had that views that we have to do more in the United States. And I always had with, with, a, with a former folks there that, um, that that kind of saying that I might not be the sharpest knife in the drawer, but, you know, you have to fish where the fish is. And, mm -hmm. and if I think about it, my, my home of choice there, California, had more products in the relevant market segment of high-end biopharmaceuticals uh, than the entire EU together. Mm -hmm. Go figure. Yeah, so that's why we said, okay, we have to reinvest into that market. We came up together with that idea that we have to have a branch of the FETA development services in North America. So I was employee number five at that point in time in North America, other than four key account managers at that point. And um, so in the meantime, we are uh, north of 200 people working for us in North America um, with a focus of um, A, the key account team, which really expanded, and B, uh, which is... Uh, um, a really great success story is our FETA development services in Chicago. So very close mm -hmm. to Chicago at, on, on the northwestern side in, in Skokie, Evanston, that area where the yeah. Northwestern University is. We're in that Illinois Science and Te uh, Technology Park and uh, we build an operation which uh, has now a meaningful size. Approximately a third of our uh, project pipeline is coming straight through Chicago. And um, yeah, that had been uh, really a, a, an, an interesting story where FETA got much better known, not only by a couple of big pharma biotech companies in the US, but by a whole array of pharma and biotech companies, ranging from almost virtual companies, people who have a great molecule idea and bring it to market uh, with, with the help of some CDMOs, all the way to the, really the, the, the big companies. So we have that entire range of companies in our shops there. And uh, we are we are well well known for that. So with with that said, um, uh, me going back and forth. On the other hand, um, together with with our team, we we uh, did a, did a nice job to build our North American organization there. So FETA has become a completely different setup. 
and um, with that, with that uh, said, um, um, yeah, I, I think my, my mission was, was done to a large degree uh, because we are still in that business of selling trust. You know, mm -hmm. so if it's 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 uh, it's not that companies buy something from companies, it's that people buy something from people. And when you're in that business and you sign a contract or you embark with a new molecular idea uh, and you come to a CDMO to help you, um, you, a, you definitely have to have that capacity as a, as a CDMO. You have uh, have to have really the expertise to to help these people, and on the other hand, to have that consistency day by day that you deliver on that really high quality level uh, without any hiccups, and that you almost are integrated as a virtual side of theirs. Uh, that is really seamless integration through all kinds of functions, ranging from quality, uh, from um, production over. Um, your, your uh, project management capabilities to the key account organization at the commercial side. So all of that has to has to be integrated with with your with your client side. Almost that you don't have the feeling who is working for whom. That has to be really an extension of that of that process. And I think we understood that quite well and integrated ourselves quite well with with um, um, our clients there. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so now comes. Coming back to the question, how does that work? That we have uh, really um, two people spearheading the operations of FETA. So uh, if we would be a publicly traded company, we would be co-CEOs. We are both sitting in the same box, being responsible for that, reporting to the board where we have the three branches of the of the or tribes of the FETA family. We have subject matter experts there and uh, our executive committee, and that's where we bring in the checks and balances. So Thomas and I, we uh, basically. Um, have that discussion with with, with um, that group of people or our, our board where our operations are going and the good thing is so um, we have both complementary talents mm -hmm. so thomas is definitely more focused on pharmaceutical manufacturing on uh, the quality organization the development services and finance controlling where i came originally more from the minister of foreign affairs side being responsible for customers and customer projects so that's what i still do key account management uh, marketing um, hr since uh, more than six years now um, supply chain management corporate strategy it and those type of things are on my side and uh, we have 100 percent trust um, that um, you know we, we we do the right thing based on a foundation that we share a lot of the same values what makes us tick you know, how we uh, culturally run this organization, how we take certain decisions. It's its really almost like a long marriage where you almost have <laughs> only have to look at the other guy and you know what he's thinking and vice versa. Or yeah. I don't even have to call for certain decisions. What, what would be most likely the answer of my partner, Thomas, or what would Peter say if Thomas gets a question and he, he goes uh, through certain scenarios. So that I think that makes us ex extremely strong. I, I would definitely say that even in our private lives we have a, have a friendship relationship uh, i can trust him 100 percent and vice versa and that, that really makes us strong that you don't really try to guide the organization into let's say at least one and a half directions no there's one direction that is quite clear you're listening to molecule to market where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector the podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space 
We are supported by ZymeWire, which is the leader in actionable sales intelligence for life science business development professionals. In fact, thousands of life science BD professionals start their day with sales signals from ZymeWire. And our friends at ZymeWire are giving Molecule to Market listeners an exclusive deal. Just head to zymewire.com forward slash Molecule to Market to learn more. Now, that's really interesting. Thank you for sharing the insight. I imagined it was going to be uh, a close, complementary relationship, but it's just, it's it's such an unusual setup for an organization. So I think it's great that you guys have, have managed to, managed to kind of get that to work. And you've, you've talked about, I suppose, the range of clients that VETA has, or, or, you know, services, you know, across the world now, and, you know, from big pharma to kind of small biotech companies you know, in Boston, where I'm based, there's, you know, tons of them, and they're all looking mm-hmm. for competent partners. What, why, why do you think it is that they choose VETA? What is it about your and you know obviously there's lots of uh reasons but i'm 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 interested to know kind of what is it what's the kind of vetter factor if you like that makes you so compelling to so many types of buyers because there's some really interesting secret sauce obviously there i'm not asking you to necessarily share that but is is there a commonality between different buyer types that they all seem to you know you know, choose VETA for a specific reason. Um, or, you know, said another way, you know, is there a superpower that you guys have that is, you know, unparalleled in some way? Yeah, I, I think there's a there's a certain mix of attributes what, what makes us successful. So if you look really on the hierarchy of needs, and lack of a better term, why are people going to CDMO in the biopharmaceutical space and what do they expect? So one or the number one buying criteria is still quality. And that's a huge void. And then you you find things, uh, for example, like uh, how do you manage your uh, uh, relationships there? Are you technologically at the forefront? Do you have a certain level of innovations in the clean rooms that you always are up to par or just a tad better as as, um, most companies out there? And um, then pricing, for example, is somewhere criteria number four to five. Not that pricing is not important, but in conjunction with the quality, with the security of, of supply here, um, uh, how you manage those relationships that they can rely on you. That's really, as I, saw, I said before, it's we are selling trust to, to a large degree and not only products, that we are there and deliver exactly up to uh, the, the client's expectations to have that, that DNA and that sheer will um, to, to do that. Um, that, that is that is really something which is is deep in the DNA and makes us makes us uh, unique. But in terms of surprising, it's really kind of a total cost of ownership um, uh, topic. Where usually, if you look on an Excel spreadsheet, sometimes um, just dollars for dollars, we have never been accused to be the cheapest organization. But if you look on us from a total um, ownership perspective, total cost perspective. It is it is a completely different story where all of those other things come come into play. And as I said before, it's really the people who make this company tick. And usually, when the going gets tough, our experts live up to the highest level of of their competency. 
And uh, that's what you see every single time. It's not that, that all of a sudden things fall apart when uh, difficulties will be there no matter what. And sometimes um, um, we make mistakes. Uh, we have to, to bridge certain gaps if maybe some, some unforeseeable obstacles come up in our client's organization or there's a shortage of supply or how do we handle the supply chain, for example, even in pandemic times, which uh, had been quite an undertaking, but we manage that. I'm happy to say that over one and a half years, there was not a single batch what we did not deliver at the end. And um, that, that, is, that is something where, um, yeah, people can, can, can rely on us and, and still day in, day out, they get the exact same quality from this organization. Uh, so, and I, I think that mentality here in the region where we are with our headquarters uh, helps to a certain degree. It's sometimes um, a little bit more understatement. Um, it's not that we really try to sit on a high horse and, and really sit on our laurels and, and become complacent and really think we are, we are so great. Um, that, that, that has always to be one of, of those factors that, that, you, that you still stay grounded and, and you really know why you're in business and you have the, the patience behind that in mind. And that helped us a lot uh, through, through the pandemic as well. So when that all broke loose, you certainly ask yourself the question, if you have for 5,500 people a responsibility, um, do we endanger anybody here? So how do we get through this kind of virus? What do we do? And uh, at the end of the day, I think um, within a couple of hours, it was quite clear to us, we have to have uh, um, um, we have to perform, we have to have uh, the, the gates open and uh, really uh, go through the motions. There's no such thing that somebody invented um, a sterile um, syringe filling application in your living room. That will not happen. There's no home office or such thing. So roughly over 3,000 people definitely had to come in in a three-shift model in most clean rooms. And you could really shift a little bit around in some of the administrative functions. But um, yeah, I, I think people were um, more committed than ever. If I look even on the deviation rate, of the, on the absenteeism rate and other things during the pandemic, we became better in the last one and a half years. So people really lift up when the going gets tough to, to, to those type of challenges. Uh, which were thrown at them, and they respond. And that's that's really um, w one of those things, the culture, uh, which was uh, instrumental to carry us even through tough times. And that's what you see sometimes in projects as well. Yeah, uh, life throws you a curveball from time to time, or projects can go the wrong way. And it's always a question, not how deep do you fall, how high will you jump back? And that's what you see with Fettel. Yeah, and no, that's... that's uh... Such an interesting insight, and I think it's probably um, reflected across the CDMO sector and when the industry needed to be called upon to to turn up and deliver when it was not always safe to do so. You know, businesses and uh, and teams and cultures performed, and that you know that. Uh, by, like by, a, by the way, what what I what I forgot, uh, Roman, is uh, one of your previous questions, but uh, maybe to the listeners. If they're still hopefully with us. <laughs> they <laughs> it, are definitely. It, yeah. It's it's uh, um, it, 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 so what what uh, what made me relocate back to Germany? So I had a lifestyle every single month flying back and forth between Munich, Germany, and uh, San Francisco, uh, California, and and going back and forth. 
and my lifestyle came to grinding hold with the pandemic. So I was sitting for three and a half months in a home office. I was up at the most awkward times there and uh, tried to help to manage the crisis from my computer screen, which was yeah, kind of an eerie feeling in the beginning. And uh, then at the end of the day, we landed on the 4th of July. 2020 in, in, in Munich, the entire family, and had uh, all of us two suitcases per person. And that was our inventory for the next seven months. And <laughs> and uh, basically, it's okay, fine. So my spot is definitely over here. My boy just finished high school in May 2020. So he is doing education mechatronics here in Germany since he has dual citizenship and uh, speaks both languages. So he decided that. And my wife, as always, is is so flexible, supporting us, supporting me. And and um, just, um, it's okay, fine. That's, that's all right. Let's, let's stay there. <laughs> and then we decided at the end of the day that our lifestyle as we were used to that for almost 14 years is not livable anymore and in the foreseeable future you see it right now with uh, certain warnings around germany central europe on the u.s side and i'm sure after thanksgiving unfortunately i'm sure that um uh, yeah the infection will rise again uh, with college kids coming back People travel state to state. Um, it's it's just one of those uh, harsh realities we are still facing. We are facing here in Germany and in Europe with a force wave again. And um, so hopefully um, uh, after more vaccinations and booster shots and what have you, surely but slowly we will get out of this misery. But uh, that was one of those things where we clearly said, no, our spot is right here. And and so we, we have sold our property in California and relocated back to Germany. Just just as a as a little uh, insight there. What, what and I hope you made. I'm gonna guess you made lots of uh, a good margin in that time period in San Francisco. <laughs> I, I, honestly, that that was that was one one of my my better ideas in life. So we have acquired our place at the tail end of the economic crisis way back then. Wow. And 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 you can imagine if you um, you know if everything was going crazy uh, in the in the housing market. Um, yeah, so, uh, things appreciated uh, qu quite quite a bit, but <laughs> homes became quite expensive as well in Germany. Jim. So that, 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 you know, that's uh, from from that perspective, uh, we could need, we could need it. <laughs> yeah, and on the on the point there around you know COVID and you know from from bit of experience of uh, my current household at the minute where I managed to get COVID. Two, two weeks ago and have now passed it with my to my family and you know we're, we're living in a a difficult two-bed apartment in, in Boston as we all have to deal with it and you're absolutely right you know I suppose for everyone that listens to a molecule to market you know the the you know even with vaccinations COVID still remains here and you know we hope everyone stay safe and travel safely because you know from personal experience it's not it's not a pleasant virus to get in and and peter we have we have another five minutes or so yes. left left and i would i would love to talk about the kind of future of of the industry you talked about industry 4.0 and you know <clears throat> 2029 and i suppose the digitization of what you guys do and it would be great for our listener. You know, I think you come across as a very 
knowledgeable, visionary individual. That's certainly my perception of, of spending some time well, talking you. to you. And, <laughs> and it, you obviously have, you know, and it, we should do a round two because I'm going to, I'd love to ask you about some of the mistakes you've also made on your journey because, you know, what we don't want to do is paint a picture of, you know, that it, all, it, it doesn't happen without challenge and, uh, you know, it doesn't always happen without, uh, you know, issues and mistakes and lessons that you learn on the way but I, I and certainly know our listeners love to get insight as we you know we kind of go into the new year of you know what's going to happen in the industry in the next couple of years you know how will outsourcing evolve some of the other bigger kind of trends um that you expect to see and anything any kind of pearls of wisdom you can leave our listener would would be would be hugely appreciated yeah, so so we we have uh, seen that now for um, the, the the last a couple of years um, certain trends where you um, see applications and and products um, in the often drug arena sometimes ultra often drugs where you have only a few thousand patients around the globe and where um, we need really small quantities where you have small batch sizes, uh, um, only maybe a, a, a few thousands ranging almost to, to a couple of hundred to a few thousand you make, you make per batch. And on the other hand, we still have to prepare ourselves for applications. I'm just thinking about one where we do over um, 70 million um, pre-filled containers of the same kind for a company in the GLP-1 analog market as an insulin replacement. And you have to be prepared for everything in between. If I look on the majority of the products, it is still everything between... Um, 100,000 to, to a million units a year, you find a whole array there, then there's a big void, and then you have some really um, big, big applications with with tens of million of the, of the same kind. And so that was one stretch where you have to have lines which can do really the ultra-offens, and you have to have high-speed lines which can serve a market with 50 million plus units. So that was, was one, one, one observation there. Uh, it was certainly a, a market which evolved towards um, uh, certain combination products where uh, to make it easier for the patient uh, to um, get get medication where you have to have an idea about devices how you get that together with the ammunition slash for example a syringe or a cartridge how you do that um, how you come to to um, more robust processes even in the vial market with um, uh, more fragile molecules more demanding molecules and what we see and what we have in front of us is what we call the so-called third wave of biotech. So first wave of biotech was something like the um, erythroproteins, EPOs, growth hormones, and so forth. Then we had that big age of the monoclonal antibodies, which is still roughly 40-50% of the, of the product portfolio, what we still have in, in, in shop. So now we have arrived more at the oligonucleotides and really some specialties. Uh, you already see things like viral vectors coming up there, uh, CAR T-cell applications, or you name it. And and it will. Uh, there's a certain trend towards uh, more and more individualized medication in order to meet uh, unmet needs out there for patients. Um, so the big question will be, 
um, do we have the healthcare system to pay for all of that? But that would be a completely different discussion. But at least we have to be prepared for some of those molecules that they go to market and we support our customers and, uh, and we still maintain the portfolio we have and we can entertain really the, um, uh, the, the, the big applications with the uh, uh, tens of millions per year. On the other hand, what we see from customers that they are not just come for, okay, can you fill this container for me and send it back uh, and then we will do the rest and and do the secondary packaging and and all the analytics and then end the opposite is the case that we have um, more and more companies who understand that it is really beneficial to really partner with a CDMO once you find uh, a, a good CDMO, a CDMO who can play on different playing fields and, and levels and support you, for example, with your uh, laboratory needs, with analytical services, with the secondary packaging, with, with the filling, with the filing for different markets, markets to understand what, what EMA, what FDA, what maybe the Japanese authorities or on visa in Brazil or you name it is requiring and um, to play on all of those those turfs and to lend your expertise uh, towards those those companies as an extended workbench and with digitalization and so forth, we become much more transparent and and um, uh, become an integral part of those companies. We see that with uh, some organizations who already work feverishly with us on those type of, of uh, projects that we are really joined at the hips and, and uh, completely transparent what we do and we show up as a virtual site on, on their computers and, and vice, vice versa. So that, that is more and more continuing to happen while we are really serving a, a complete um, colorful scenery of, of, of biotech products out there, the established products and everything what's coming out there, which will be really in the next decade from my perspective in the, in the mid later 2020s, it is really the age of biotech. I think what we have seen now with mRNA molecules as one example to fight the pandemic, if we wouldn't have had some of that research, which was more geared towards the oncology market, uh, we would not be in the position right now to, to somewhat fight at least the pandemic successfully. Uh, and and uh, I'm sure those companies will go back to the drawing board, the BioNTechs, the Modernas of the world and so forth to think about their original um, um, ideas, what they had with oncology products and how to handle mRNA and, and, and so forth. Very interesting times. It will address a lot of those unmet needs out there and um, really happy with, uh, with FETA to be associated to such an industry which has a purpose. So usually, you know, when you hire personnel right now, now and when you employ a branding, everybody tries to look for a purpose. We have a great purpose. We always had a great purpose. It makes a significant difference in people's lives there on a daily basis. And personally, I'm, I'm quite proud uh, that, that I can be a part of this team and, and make, that, make that happen because some of those molecules would not be on the market with, with FETA. Just thinking about um, age-related macular disease as, 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 as one example, uh, where uh, A, it has to be sterile. You have to avoid particles, which uh, will be otherwise injected into the human eye. And it's an extremely 
difficult solution, which almost has a viscosity of honey and has to be dosed down to the microgram, 10 to the minus sevens, uh, uh, six, um, I'm sorry, correctly. And, and with that, with that said, uh, there's a whole filling application in a double sterile bag around it before you get it to the surgeon. That is very demanding. And those molecules would be probably not on time there without organizations such as FETA. I can name a couple of other ones, such as, um, uh, for example, uh, a drug against uh, children's Alzheimer's. Um, so there's even such thing, but you have to freeze vials at minus 70 degrees centigrade, what we all learned in the pandemic, that we need those things from time to time. Yeah, we already had that kind of expertise when we tried it for this ultra-often drug market and how to do that. And, and that's why we always have to have to push ourselves and get better and really be innovative and and uh, really uh, try to live up to to those challenges um, to to get more more molecules onto the market so mm -hmm. there is a big purpose to do this well some really amazing insights there i was jotting lots of notes down <laughs> peter and <laughs> and i think one of the words i think you used there which i think is a great uh, sentiment to end our conversation is just uh, pride and you certainly should be very proud of your achievements in your career, but also just the ongoing achievements at VETA, not just at a commercial success level, but obviously the impact that you guys have on, uh, you know, you know, our children, our brothers, brothers and sisters, our parents. It's a, it's a, a wonderful story. Uh, and I'm so glad that we managed to make the time and, and get you on Molecule to Market. So our listener has a real, uh, understanding of you and and your background, but also an insight into into veteran and what a you know fantastic organization uh, that you guys have built there. So thank you uh, very much for for sparing us the time and, and being a guest on yeah, our th market. Th th thank you, thank you so much, Roman, for for the opportunity. As always, people who know you and how we got to know each other there, it's it's always fun to talk to you. It's almost upbeat. You're always at the forefront with with your questions. You get all the different perspectives from the industry onto onto your desk, and and you bring that to the conversation. So I really enjoyed that that discussion with you. Thanks again, and uh, yeah, hope to speak to you soon. Yeah, Thank well, you. now you're now you're back in Munich. It's a good excuse for me to uh, yes, come please. to Munich and enjoy a yes, enjoy, enjoy yeah. a vice beer or a pilsner together. Would be yeah. would be would be lovely. So yes, you have an open invitation, and uh, so so once once the numbers look a little bit better here with COVID, uh, that would be great to have you. <laughs> yeah, I know that. I'll take you up on that offer. And well, yes. thanks again, Peter. You look after yourself and, and stay safe. Thank you. Same to you, Raman. All the best to you and your family. Bye bye. Thank you. Hi again. Thanks so much for tuning in to Molecule to Market. We hope you enjoyed today's episode you can find more shows on spotify apple podcast or wherever you like to listen get in touch with us on our website molecule to market pod.com and follow us on linkedin or twitter and we will see you again next week you're listening to molecule to market where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector the podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space Molecule to Market is sponsored and funded by Remarketing, an international content, digital, and design agency that helps companies get noticed, raise profile, and generate leads in life sciences.